Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. I was listening to a podcast this week. I, I drive a lot for work, so I listen to a lot of different things. But in this particular one, a, a gentleman was interviewing a, another, another guy, and they were talking about a friend of, a mutual friend of theirs who uh, was also in their industry, and she, you know, this great person, they're talking really highly of her, but how she, they brought up this story of hers that how, how horrible her past had been, and they were both talking about that, you know, she, they can't believe just the, the, the horrible situation she was in with her husband. He, he was beating her physically, you know, all the time, years of it, to the point where she even shot her at one point, and, you know, mental abuse, verbal abuse, just a horrible situation. And then, and then the, the, the host kind of said to him, yeah, and did you hear what, you know, she said about it? She, you know, she chose to forgive him. And the other guy goes, oh, my gosh, can you believe that? He goes, can you, I mean, how stupid is that? He said, why? Are you kidding me with that? I'm sorry, but can I just say something? He goes, he goes, this Christianity forgiveness talk is just nuts. It's insane. I, I mean, it's fine. He goes, sometimes it's good to hate somebody. I mean, if somebody does that to you, I'm going to hate them. And I think that's just fine. He goes, I, I just don't get this forgiveness talk. And I'm listening to this, and I'm like, wow, man. I mean, this really is. I mean, that's, that's human nature, though. That's the way of the world. And so it's, it's, it makes sense that they'd be talking like this. They'd you know, be putting down that Christian message of forgiveness because it's what naturally feels right. It's what naturally, you know, that's what you feel like you should do. That should be the human response to that. So today we're going to, I want to talk about this, this message of forgiveness and Christianity forgiveness and what that means to us. And I wanted to just open with a story, and it's back in the year 167 B.C., the year 167 B.C.E., before Jesus came. And this time, the, Jew, the Jews, the Jewish people, were under the reign of this empire called the Seleucid Empire, okay? And this, before they were under the Roman Empire, they were under this, the reign of the Seleucid Empire, and there was a priest, a Jewish priest by the name of Mattathias, and at the time, that the, empire, the Seleucid Empire had, had made a decree that forbade all Jewish customs, all Jewish practices. They were, they were sick of the Jews. They didn't want them. You know, they were sick of their practices. They were, he, he forbade all of them. And so this Jewish uh, priest, he decided, you know, we've we got to do something. We've got we to start a revolt. So this revolt gets started, and this Jewish rabbi, this Jewish priest is sparking people and, you know, igniting them. And, and in the process, he gets captured, and the, the, king, the king of the empire declares that he's going to be put to death. So as this is all happening, you know, moments before he dies, <clears throat> Mattathias, he, he makes a declaration, and he says, he says to his sons, he says, avenge the wrong done to your people and pay back the Gentiles in full. This is the Jewish priest, priest Mattathias. He says, avenge the wrongdoing to your people. He's saying this to his sons and, and revenge these Gentiles in full for what they're about to do, for what they've done. So Mattathias had a, had a son named Judah, known as Judah Maccabees. Maccabees was, he got that nickname because it was another name for it, was translated to the hammer. So Judah Maccabees, he was known as the hammer. Because Judah took on this mantle. He said, I'm going I'm I'm to avenge, I'm just like Father said, I'm going to avenge these Gentiles, and I'm, I'm going to pay back what they've done to my father. So Judah Maccabees, the hammer, he goes back, and he, he declares war, and he, 
You know, you've got to remember the Jewish people are a much smaller community than this empire that was reigning over them. But through many, many little guerrilla warfare and tactics, he was able to, to win a lot of many, many battles and victories for the Jewish people. To the point where the Jewish people are looking at this and they're like, whoa, wait a second, this, this, might, be our, this might be the Messiah that was prophesied so long ago. Judah, Maccabees, the hammer, he's, he's about to liberate us and he might be the Messiah that we've been prophesied for. And so goes, he's, he's fighting battles and, you know, he, he ends up dying in one of them, tragically again. The Seleucid Empire was too big for them to overcome and they overran the the, 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 Jew, the Jewish people and killed them all and killed, killed Judah in the process. And so once again, it wasn't the Messiah they were hoping. You can't really blame them for thinking that, though, because he, he was kind of that perfect prototype for what the prophets had prophesied, that this Messiah would come and avenge the enemies, avenge the wrongdoing that's been done to the people. So Judah the hammer, he, 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 he made a, during this whole process, he, he, he did do one thing where he made a treaty with the Roman Empire. So the in all these battles, they got, they got away from the Seleucid Empire and got under the Roman Empire. And what, what do we know about that? It didn't really end up that great either for the people. So just from one to another, from one dictator to another, and one bad situation to another. So fast forward 160 years, and Jesus is born. Jesus is born in a little town of Bethlehem. As prophesied long ago to a virgin, he wasn't quite the version of the Messiah that the Pharisees, the scribes, even the people had imagined, though. And we're going to open up our scripture, our Bible, to Luke 4. And you can go there with me if you want. Luke 4. And this is Jesus. It says in Luke 4, verse 16. It says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, so now Jesus is speaking. He's holding the scroll and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor is come, period, amen. He's got the scroll, he rolls it up, it says. He handed it back to the attendant, He's, he sits down, sits down. It says, everyone at the synagogue stared at him intently, with kind of with bated breath, or waiting, what's he gonna, what's he gonna say next? And then he said, the scripture has come true today before your very eyes. It says, all who were there spoke well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that fell from his, from his lips. So Jesus was reading this from the book of Isaiah. And if we go back, I mean, if you, if you just read that, hey, that's a nice story, you know? Yeah, he... Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Amen. Good news to the poor. You know, he's, he's kind of maybe foreshadowing it. Hey, man, take a look at me. I might, you know, this Messiah you've been after. It's kind of giving a glimpse of it. You read it in period, in time the Lord's favor has come, period. Great. Okay, that's a, nice, that's a nice story. But what's fun is if you go back to Isaiah, we can all turn there, Isaiah 61. What's interesting, if we look at this, See what exactly it says here in Isaiah 61. It says the Spirit, so this is Jesus once again. He opened this scroll. This is 
exactly what he was looking at. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. Okay, that sounds good. It's all pretty much the same. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and denounce the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. All right, it's fine. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, period. Wait, that's not a period. Comma, there's more to it? What? Why would Jesus stop there? What? Am I wrong? Did I read this wrong? The Lord's favor has come, period, in Luke. He stops. He rolls up the scroll. Let's finish it. For the, uh, the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Another translation says his vengeance. But Jesus stops there. He puts a period at the end of the Lord's favor has come. He rolls up the scroll. I mean, this is kind of like a modern-day Jesus mic drop. Boom. He rolls up the scroll. And notice what it says. Everyone's, everyone's listening. They're like, yeah, come on, G- we, we know what comes next. I mean, the, these people, they're at the synagogue. They know this scripture. They, they know it in and out. And they're waiting for him. Come on, get, Jesus, the best part's coming up, man. Read the, read, read the, this is our favorite part. And they're waiting. It says they're staring intently. But he stops there that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Notice says everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently, and they said, they said they were amazed by these gracious words that come from his lips, it says. Jesus wasn't the hammer of God like most of them were expecting. He wasn't the hammer of God. He was the lamb of God. He didn't come to declare the year of the Lord's vengeance, but the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' message wasn't this moving call to war like Mattathias's, but instead one of a call of peace and forgiveness. It was the counterintuitive Sermon on the Mount. Instead of eye for an eye, we all, we've all heard this message. Instead of eye for an eye, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, I say to you, turn the other cheek. This is Jesus speaking. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is Jesus talking. I mean, this is what, this is what upset the Jewish people so much because their expectations of the Messiah was not lining up with the reality of this man who was saying, I am the Messiah. They, want, they wanted a Messiah who would bring vengeance. They wanted a Messiah who would bring retribution against their enemies. But instead of enemy hate, Jesus preached enemy love. And instead of enemy retribution, he, he preached enemy forgiveness. I mean, sure, this man, we've seen him perform miracles. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him perform one of these good deeds. But what, what, what good is he if he doesn't bring the hammer? Right? And Jesus was preaching a counter message to the culture of that day. He was raising the moral standard. He was teaching and displaying an image of who God really is. Not who they thought God was, not who they wanted the Messiah to be, but displaying and and preaching who God really is. Saying the words of what God really has to say. See, it's at the cross that we find forgiveness, where, where we find our redemption, where we find our future, our hope. And Jesus was the perfect example of this as he laid down his life for us. As he was, as he was 
you know, the inflictions were cast upon him, yet he still said, Father, forgive him, forgive them. He was a perfect sinless lamb, had done no evil to anyone, yet they were still hanging him on the cross, and yet he, he mutters his last words, Father, forgive them. He was speaking out the very nature of God, forgiving the world of its sins, pardoning the world of its transgressions, freeing the world from its chains. So which Messiah today, which Messiah are we embracing? Which version of the Messiah, the hammer or the lamb? These are two competing versions of Messiah. One that brings payback, one that brings vengeance, one that brings retribution, or the one that brings forgiveness, the one that brings healing, the one that brings hope, the one that brings peace. You might find yourself, you know, in a place where we have to offer forgiveness amongst great suffering, just like Jesus did. And it's so funny because we live in this feelings culture right now. Everything is about feelings. And I was just driving around yesterday, Friday, and I was driving around Friday for work, and I'm on the highway. And I'm behind a car, it's 55, and this car is going like 48 miles an hour. And I'm in a hurry. I got places to go. I got to preach on Sunday. And there's three cars behind me all wanting to do the same thing. So I'm, 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 I'm getting behind him, and I'm going to pull around and pass this guy. And I'm not thinking anything of it, really. Just i got to pass the guy. Passing him. And as I'm going, I kind of see, you know, you can, out of the corner of your eye, you catch a glimpse of something. And I catch a glimpse of something, and I look, and the guy's just flicking me off the whole, I mean, as obnoxiously as he can, the whole way as I drive by. I mean, just this unbridled aggression that, this day that we live in. You know, people just cannot control their feelings, their emotions. And I felt bad. I'm like, dude, I, I'm so, I didn't mean to ruin your day by passing you. That wasn't my intent. I mean, I genuinely felt bad that I upset him so much. I kind of wanted to pull over and explain to him, you know, the situation. Yeah, just unbridled aggression in you know, our culture. Just constant feelings. And yet everything on the opposite, everything's got to be PC, politically correct. Everything, you know, no one wants to hurt each other's feelings, but when you do, it's just snap. Everybody snaps. So it's easy to, it's easy to see then how even a thing like forgiveness, even forgiveness can be equated towards certain feelings. Like, man, you know, hey, that person... Yeah, they're finally, they're talking to me again, okay. That person, they, they said they're sorry. That person, they did something, you know, they, they changed their ways. What, they're, what was doing them, making me mad, they finally changed their ways. I, you know, I guess that makes me feel good. I guess maybe, maybe now, maybe now I can, I can forgive them now. So we equate, we equate forgiveness with a feeling. And forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a choice. Amen. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice to end the cycle of revenge and leave justice in the hands of God. Forgiveness is, though evil is done to me, I'm not going to repay evil with evil. That comes directly from Romans 12. Paul said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is Romans 12, 17. He said, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says the call to follow Christ always means a call to share the work of forgiving men their sins. Forgiveness is, forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering, which is the Christian's duty to bear. So unforgiveness, I mean, it's just, all it is is a toxic memory. It's a toxic memory that endlessly pulls the past back into the present. It honest, endlessly brings it back, your past, the situations you've been through, brings it back to the present. That's, that's unforgiveness. It eliminates new possibilities because everything remains chained to that past. The injustice experience, it becomes, becomes the all-consuming event that fuels you with bitterness, with hate, with pain, the resentment. It's like that image of the old ball and chain where everywhere you go, everywhere you go, it drags along. All that hate, all that pain, all that resentment, everywhere you go, you're dragging that ball and chain. It's a weight that is never freed unless you forgive. Revenge doesn't free it. Payback doesn't free it. Jesus knew this. The Jewish people didn't understand, fully understand that, but Jesus knew that revenge isn't gonna, is not going to make it better. Sure, it feels better for a moment. Man, when you, when you give it back to that person or they're experiencing what you felt, oh, man, that feels good. You're like, yeah, now you got to taste your own medicine, buddy, and it feels good, right? Or you pay back. Somehow you get them back for what they did to you. But what's interesting about that is when you do that, it only become, makes you become what you hated so much. When you repay cruelty with cruelty, you just become a cruel person. It becomes your identity. It becomes your character. It becomes your nature. And so once again, the cycle, the cycle of evil is continued. Just like Jesus on the cross, evil is only defeated when someone absorbs that. When someone absorbs the blow and forgives. Ending that cycle without, without retaliation. It's not weakness like those guys in that podcast thought. I mean, they're like, this is it's for weak people. I mean, it's stupid. It's a terrible idea. It's not, it's not a weakness, but on the contrary, it's the power of God. And we don't have to do it alone. It's, it's only by the Holy Spirit that can grace us with the power to do it, to choose to forgive. Only by the Holy Spirit that we can really live that call of forgiving 70 times 7. It has to be an act of obedience. And that choice, it'll break. It breaks the slave master bitterness. It frees the embittered soul of its chains. It closes the door on a painful past and it opens a door to a hopeful future. You, essentially, you gain, you gain a testimony. And that's what we're all looking for. We're all, you know, I want a testimony to to tell people about how good God has been to me. Well, choose to forgive. Tell that story. We're going to, I'm winding down here, but we're going to go back to Genesis. You can open up to Genesis 50, and we're going to go to the first instance of forgiveness in the Bible. Genesis 50. And I'm sure the majority of us know the story of Joseph. Just in case you don't, which is completely fine, I'll do a really quick Cliff Notes recap. Joseph was the son of, was 12, one of 12 sons of Jacob. And Joseph was 
the favorite of all of them. And I can relate. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. He was the favorite. And his brothers, his brothers hated him for it. They hated him. And he was, he was a dreamer. He was always telling stories of these magnificent dreams he had and, and telling everybody. And his, and his brothers just despised the guy. So, this, so they, they threw him in a, in a pit one day when he was off by himself. They threw him in this pit. They tore up his cloak that his dad had given to him, brought it, bloodied it up and tore it up and gave it back to the dad and said, hey, sorry, bad news, Joseph's dead. So that's horrific. And then they, then they sell Joseph into slavery. And for 13 years, he is stuck as a slave and then goes to prison for part of that because he was falsely accused of raping somebody. And 13 years between slavery, I think it was like another two or three in prison. And you got to imagine a Genesis-style prison is not a fun place to be. I mean, that's in Egypt. I mean, that's not like you're American. There's no cable TV in a cot. I mean, you're on the... You're on a cobblestone floor with a bunch of crazies around you, right, for two to three years. And can you imagine the, the resentment? Can you imagine what he's thinking the whole time? He's stuck in this prison. His brothers put him here. And it's just feeling, and it's just the rage is building up inside. Oh, imagine what I would do if I saw them again, what I would say, how I would respond to them. Can you, can you imagine being in that situation? Think about where your brothers are at right now. They're sitting in their homes with their families, with dad. You're stuck here. Joseph had a lot of opportunities to get real animosity built up, real hatred. The story, the story ends with, there's a fan, so, so what happens is Joseph, through a series of events, and you can go back and read it all, he ends up interpreting some dreams for some people and then for the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh likes him so much that he ends up becoming this, pretty much the second hand over all of Egypt, under, right under Pharaoh. I mean, he's pretty much the king now under Pharaoh. And there's a famine in the land, and so what do you know? Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for food, and they show up at the very place Joseph is. The story's beautiful. He's able to reconcile that family, bring them all together. He says, I'm going to protect you during this famine. It's a really beautiful story. But we're going to catch up here in Genesis 50. Genesis 50, verse 14, what has happened now is Jacob has died. The father has died. So it says, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's funeral. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became afraid. I mean, they're starting to freak out now because dad's dead. Surely it's payback time now. I mean, he's gonna, J- Joseph is going to bring the hammer now, right? And now Joseph, they, they, the brothers said, now Joseph will pay us back for all the evil we did to him. They said, so they sent a message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, forgive your brothers for the great evil they did to you. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive us. And this is the first instance of forgiveness in the Bible. When Joseph received that message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and bowed low before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph told them, don't, don't be afraid of me. Am I, am I God to judge and punish you? As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. Indeed, I myself will take care of you and your families. And he spoke very kindly to them. Kind of reminds me of 
Jesus, how he spoke kindly and graciously in the synagogue. Can you imagine watching a two and a half hour movie of this in today's day and age? And you're like watching this guy and he's going through all these horrible, horrible events and his brothers send him to slavery to prison and you're like two and a half hours in and all of a sudden the movie ends with him just saying, I forgive you. <laughs> Credits roll. That would be the worst movie ever. We'd be, <laughs> we'd be like, are you kidding me? I sat through that for that? I wanted some payback, man. I was... I mean, when that man, when, when he's sitting there and the brother showed up, I thought for sure, this is it. This is, is going to be good. He's going to send him to prison. He's going to, who knows? And can you imagine? That'd be like 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. It'd be certified to be rotten. <laughs> we, we have this revenge culture that we live in. All the, all the great movies, you think about it. They all deal with some sort of vengeance and revenge and payback. Think about, I mean, one of my favorites used to be Braveheart, Gladiator, The Patriot. You got new ones like John Wick, Kill Bill, like movies like that, The Punisher. All pay, I mean, even a movie called Payback. I mean, I think that's a Mel Gibson movie. It's, it's like, hey, what's this called? Payback. <laughs> Just tell them what the movie's about, right? So we live in this culture that just glorifies the idea of revenge and retribution and payback, and it ends up forming us. It ends up molding us. We watch these movies, we're entertained. We get sucked in. We empathize with the characters, what they've been through. We fantasize about what we would do if we were in that situation. And then when the time comes and the payback happens, we, oh, that adrenaline rush hits us, and we're just like, I felt good. Woo! Payback. Right? Am I the only one that experiences this? <laughs> That's why the Bible's so quick to warn don't be conformed to this world. Don't be formed in it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Meditation and prayer is so important because it forms you. That's why it's so important. You don't, you don't pray just because you're asking God for things. You pray because it forms you. You think about the Lord's Prayer. What did he say? He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today your daily, our daily bread and forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is forming you in the ways of Christianity, forming you. Jesus went on to say there, he said, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And just like in this story, man, Joseph has the heart of God. And he tells his brothers, I've forgiven you long ago. I've forgiven you long ago. He weeps about it. He feels so terrible that they would think this still about him. And isn't it crazy? I mean, what a story. In this ironic twist of fate, this horrible deed, evil has been done, and Joseph ends up becoming the very salvation to his brothers through it. He becomes their salvation. He saves them from that famine. 
through this horrible situation, it leads him to that point in his life. He chooses forgiveness, and that entire family's course has changed. The entire family future has changed because one man chose to forgive. It could have stayed, easily stayed the same story of Joseph, they, they show up at they show up asking for food, and they don't quite recognize him at first, and Joseph's like, oh, oh I got him now. This is the moment. Who would have thought? Oh, how are you guys doing now? Oh, you're not doing so good, huh? Oh, look at me. Yeah, you don't have any food? Okay. Well, let's throw him in prison. Let's, let's beat him up a little bit. Well, what should we do? What should we do? Should we torture him, maybe? I mean, that's what we like to do, right? We like to, someone, someone that we haven't forgiven, we like to kind of keep him locked up inside. We lock him in that personal prison and kind of torture him, kind of hate on him when we feel down. We think about that horrible person. We kind of sneer at how terrible they are. We lock him up. Joseph did not do that. I mean, without forgiveness, we don't ever get out of the book of Genesis. We just simply get stuck there. And then that cycle, maybe, maybe he doesn't forgive, and those, the ki- he kills his brothers, those kids, his descendants grow up, and then they seek revenge against Joseph, and then that cycle continues. I mean, without forgiveness, we never get out of the first book of the Bible. With that one act, he saved the seed of Abraham. Unforgiveness, revenge, retribution only prolongs the pain. And I love this quote. It's by a gentleman by the name of Miroslav Volf. And he says, to, fully, uh, to triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. Isn't that good? Evil would die if we did not infuse it with new life. So the only way for it to win is if we recycle it, and the only way for it to die is if we absorb it, like Jesus did on the cross. And people always say, you got to forgive, you got to forget. Just forgive and forget. Just forgive, forget. The two F words, forgive and forget. (laughs) But you know what's interesting is Joseph still remembered. If you look, it says he goes, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. I mean, he points it out. This was clear evil going on. He didn't forget. But as he remembered, he was simultaneously releasing them from that debt, that moral debt. He was forgiving them. He was choosing forgiveness so that the whole family can be reconciled. Forgiveness will always remember. Jesus still bore his scars. But through forgiveness, scars turn from horrible to beautiful, from a tragedy to a testimony through forgiveness. And when we choose to forgive, we go from victim to victor in our own story. When we choose to forgive, it becomes our story, not the offender's story. When we choose to forgive, we might have been touched by evil, but we don't have to be defined by that evil. When we choose to forgive, we overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 17. 
pastor last week, he preached on, he preached on the triple crown of Christianity. And he said it was faith, hope, and love, right? The triple crown of Christianity. And those three truly are, I mean, they are the pillars. They are the pillars. However, forgiveness, if those are the pillars, forgiveness would have to be the foundation, the foundation of Christianity. I mean, if somebody said, hey, define to me, give me one word, one word for Christianity, what is it? You'd have to say forgiveness. If it isn't about forgiveness, it isn't about anything at all. Without forgiveness, there's no future, right? No future. Without forgiveness, there's no hope. Without, I'm sorry, without a future, there's no hope. Without hope, there is no love. Without love, there is no faith. The Bible tells us that. Without faith, there's nothing. It has to be the central focus. And if it's not, we're just another religion of revenge, of retribution, of payback. So why do we forgive? I think for Christians, it's, it's not easy if you're not a Christian, clearly. It's not an easy answer. In fact, it doesn't even make sense. It's stupid. But for Christians, it's simple. It's because it's what Jesus did. Jesus forgave. He forgave us. And we believe that his way leads to life. His words are truth and they are life. It leads to life more abundantly, amen? That's what we believe. And his call to us as Christians is to take up that cross and follow him. Let go of the hammer of resentment, of revenge, of, of hate, of all that pain and grab hold of the cross of Christ, of forgiveness, of love, of a hope. Because Jesus came, he came to save the world, not us from the world. He came to save the world, not, not to pull us out of it. Sometimes, you know, we just think that Christianity is this ticket to heaven. It's not. It's not a ticket to heaven. It's not just a promise of a better afterlife. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is a call to perpetuate the ways of Jesus. To follow his ways, to let people know that there's a better way to live now. That's true Christianity. Do we, we believe in Jesus, but do we believe in his ideas? That's the question. We know who he is, but do we follow his ways? Because following his ways is what truly makes it radical unconventional, counterculture, following the ways of Jesus. We're going to end last story, real quick one, in Acts 7. Acts chapter 7. Verse 57. So this is Stephen, the disciple. He's about to be put to death. It says they put 
Right before 57, Stephen is yelling. He says, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. 57, it says, they put their hands over the ears and drowning out his voice with the shouts. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Notice this. It says, the official witness took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. This young man who was following in the ways of payback and revenge. That's what Saul did. And he's watching these people stone this man. It says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. He was imitating Christ. He was being a Christian. In that moment, he was following the true Messiah. And Saul was watching. We all know Saul's story, what happens with him. He's converted, he writes, ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But Saul was following what he thought was the Messiah, what he thought was the right way, payback, revenge, vengeance, and he's watching this story play out where someone's actually imitating the true Messiah. Saul says, do not hold the sin against them. You know, instead of calling out for revenge like Mattathias earlier, instead of calling out for revenge, he's asking for forgiveness, just like Jesus did on the cross. So which version of the Messiah today are we following? Which version are we, are we following the version of payback and holding on to grudges and unforgiveness and letting that lead us? Or are we following the lamb? But we all have things we're dealing with. We all have people that, man, it's tough to forgive. Me and my wife were just talking about that a couple weeks ago. We're like, I think we said, who do you find hard to love? <laughs> what kind of people? And it's, it's, it's an interesting thought experiment. Like, who, what kind of people do you find hard to love? Who, who, who are you struggling with right now to forgive? Maybe an ex-husband who was unfaithful or your co-worker who spread lies about you or your friend who gossiped about you or relative that abused you or certain class of people. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we get hung up and find resentment towards in our hearts. And can you dare to release those chains? That's the question today. Can you make that choice to forgive them? Because your story never changes. Your story never changes, it only stays the same if you keep holding on to that, to the evil done to you. But the beautiful thing is your past can have a future if you choose to forgive. It ends up, it ends up choosing to forgive ends up letting you see that past in a whole different light. It changes the story, like we said, from a, from a tragedy to a testimony.
can we choose to forgive? Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock. We also have our midweek service every week on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.